Welcome to Pacific Mammal Research's Marine Mammal Highlight Series. We are a 501c3 research and education nonprofit studying marine mammals in the Salish Sea off Washington State. In this series, you will learn about different marine mammals as we discuss interesting facts about each species. This is our way to geek out, share some information, and have some fun. We hope you enjoy the series and be sure to follow us on Instagram to vote for which animal we talk about next. And without further ado, Welcome to the Pac-Man podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And we're missing Trevor this this time again. Uh, still super busy season, so he is out and about. Um, and hopefully he'll be back next month uh, when we do another Marine Mammal Highlight. But yes, yes but this, uh, so this week we are doing, it was between the Spotted Dolphin and the Gray Seal. So we took uh, two of the quote unquote losers because none of them are losers, but the ones Obviously. that didn't win the poll. <laughs> <laughs> uh back and it was a close one it was like 54 to 46 percent i think oh wow that is pretty yeah. close so the spotted dolphin won Woohoo! yay and i'm i mean i, I would it would have been good either way but i i did 10 years of research on the spotted dolphin in the bahamas so i'm kind of excited to talk about this one <laughs> i feel like i'm just gonna be like okay and cindy and Cindy talk and because I'm like okay I'm just gonna like is that right is that I, I, there we, this is perfect though because now we have a built-in fact checker for everything <laughs> I will, ooh, puts a lot of pressure on me like make sure no pressure no pressure no pressure at all <laughs> oh man but I but it'll be interesting as we go through this because I think there's going to be some discrepancies between what is out there and what we know from the re- research that's been done in the Bahamas so yeah um cool. so I will start off with the part of Trevor's part. That's the, what they look like. Um, and I, I am going to talk about, well, I'll just do it. So <laughs> don't, don't let me tell you what I'm going to talk about. Let me just talk about it. So uh, these guys are a, a more slender dolphin uh, compared to like the bottomnose dolphins that can be pretty chunky <laughs> and very large. Um, so these guys are about 200 pounds. Um, Noah says they can get up to like 315 pounds, um, but around 200-ish is probably pretty average, five to seven and a half feet. Um, and um, they have spots, <laughs> asterisk, because um, they're spotted dolphins. So they do have spots, but what's really interesting is that they aren't don't have spots when they're born. Right. So the baby um, spotted dolphins look like baby bobnose dolphins and can oftentimes be mistaken for them. But they they aren't as cute as baby bobnose dolphins. And I'll say that. <gasps> yeah, I, I know. But baby bobnose dolphins are like the cutest things in the world. <laughs> because they have Except those for short, maybe baby little noses and they're just, it's just adorable. So, um, but they are born uh, without any spots. And so what makes this unique for this animal is that we can tell the age class of an individual by how many spots they have, which you can't do just by looking at another species like bottomnose. You can't be like, oh, that's, a, he's like eight or nine years old. You mm. can't do that. So they're two-toned, that's the age class classifications, uh, two-toned when they're born. So that's from zero to three years of age. And then they start to get black spots on their white belly. Um, and that's when they become speckled. That's four to eight years of age. And this is the juvenile period. Then as you become a little bit more mature, you start to get white spots on your on the darker top. 
um, and that becomes, uh, they're called modeled, uh, and they do start to, the spots become less individual and start to kind of mush together a bit more, getting modeled. <laughs> um, that's nine to 15 years of age. And then when they're fully adult, they're 15 years or older and they're fused. And the, the spotting, uh, the spots literally fuse together so that it's much more of a coloration pattern than it is m as much individual spots from when they were younger. Mm, gotcha. So it's just a really cool thing that, it, and for the species is that we know the age of the individuals without knowing when they were born. Uh, and well, and it's gotta be, I was gonna say too, it's probably one of the only species where their age class is designated by their appearance too. Mm -hmm. Like I don't really know of many other species where, I mean, aside from just basic size, but like, right. yeah, it's kind of, yeah, kind not of some a cool way to, to do like, that. Oh, they have that, which means they're this age. Right. Or at least not that many stages. I'm sure there are from like, you know, cub to adult or like, you know, from like baby to adult. There, I'm sure there are, but yeah, it's kind of neat where That's there's true. actually like those sections. Yeah, Very that's cool. gradation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, this, this age class classification actually was, um, it's modified from the pantropical spotted dolphin that was studied before. Um, and then, uh, like I said, I got to study these animals in the Bahamas with Dr. Denise Herzing in the Wild Dolphin Project. Um, and she modified that age class classification system to the animals here in, in the Atlantic and for the Atlantic spotted dolphin. Um, so they basically, uh, very similar to many species, they kind of have the darker cape on top of darker and then the, and the lighter on the bottom, the counter shading, that's pretty normal. But then of course, mm -hmm. with the spots. Um, and those age classifications are average, right? You get some really late specklers <laughs> and some very early specklers. My speckles took a long time to bloom. They did. They were late bloomers. <laughs> we, we have one. There's one in, in the Bahamas. Her name is Little Gash. And she looks like she's modeled, but she's been fused for a while. Like she just has fewer spots. And just the hmm. way her pattern, color patteration, color, whoa, color. Coloration is, pattern. Um, <laughs> I, 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 we like to joke that she's like, you know, the young hot mom that everybody wants to be that looks younger than she is. <laughs> <laughs> like oh it's little gash she just looks so good <laughs> um so anyway that's kind of what they look at and and compared to the pantropical spotted they have more dense spotting so the pantropicals don't have as many spots and that makes sense because they're found more in ocean open ocean versus coastal which i think you'll talk right. about a bit um mm -hmm. but the deeper water ones tend to have less spots than um than coastal ones kind of interesting yeah yeah, which again, like you said, it makes sense just for the um, kind of being cryptic in that environment too. You know, you mm -hmm. want to make sure that you're blending in with your environment enough to not get munched by a hungry shark. So <laughs> exactly. And they ideally, unfortunately, and just to clarify, we are just going to be talking really about the Atlantic spotted mm -hmm. dolphin in this episode. We're not really going to talk about the pantropical spotted dolphin unless just to kind of, you know, just as you just did to kind of reference comparison, but um, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go into that one much at all. We decided to focus on one. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to say about these ones. There so, is. You know, well, they, should, they needed their I, own episode. I could talk for a long time. <laughs> well, right. So, you know, we had to, we had to rein ourselves in a little bit here. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, should I get into distribution? I think so. Okay. So, um, these guys are found mostly in warm and temperate tropical waters in the Atlantic ocean, as their name suggests. <laughs> Um, and their range is basically up and down the East Coast. Um, so from the Gulf of Mexico to Massachusetts here in the US. 
um, the Bahamas, Brazil, the Azores, and Canary Islands, and Gabon. Um, so kind of like all up and down that eastern seaboard, I guess, um, would be a good way to think about it, kind of, except for the Canary Islands. That's, yes, I didn't realize, I didn't realize they were found in the Canary Islands. I was like, yeah. oh, that's actually very cool. Mm -hmm. And apparently the Gulf Stream, so like other warm water currents, including the Gulf Stream, may actually impact the distribution. So that mm -hmm. does make sense. But I had no idea that they were found in the Canary Islands. That was just extremely exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, though they, you know, these guys are, they can pop up anywhere. Like these cetaceans yeah. just generally think like, oh, they're all right here. And then all of a sudden they're like, Boop. I'm like, what are you guys doing over there? Right. Well, and I think my problem too, is I tend to be kind of, even though I was like, I grew up on the, in the North Atlantic kind of ish. Um, mm -hmm. I still have a tendency to think of the Atlantic, meaning like the, the East coast of the U.S., Right. So, well, and I do, yeah. I do too. Yeah. Cause that's, yeah. That's so, yeah. I'm like, oh, there's this, right. whole there's this whole other part of the ocean. Oh. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so that was just very cool to realize. Um, mm -hmm. And as Cindy said, they do prefer waters that are coastal. So they're normally found on in coastal areas or on the continental shelf areas that are, they said they can, they can go up to uh, from 65 to 820 feet deep. Um, in those kind of area ranges, but they're typically found in deeper oceanic waters in the northern part of the range, which is kind of interesting. So um, once you get up towards that kind of, um, like I said, like the Massachusetts area. Uh, um, I wonder if that just has to do with the topography of what's there. Like they decided to be up there possibly. and like, well, there's just not as much of the other habitat type. Right, and what habitat of that type there is, up along, especially up along the northeast of the U.S., it tends to be very rocky. So it might right. not be as conducive to them living there as, you know, it might be a little bit safer for them to actually be out in the deeper water just to not, you know, there's also, they also get a lot of storms up along that coast, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, um, the in the Bahamas, the, it's, you know, it's a sandy bottom. And what's interesting there is that it's in kind of an odd group because it's far from land, but it's mm -hmm. very shallow. So in their main range is there, we are 40 miles from shore, whether you're talking about the east coast of the US or the Bahamas um, in the south, but it ranges from six feet to, you know, 50, 60 feet. Right. So, so they're this weird, it's offshore, it's away from, you know, miles away from land, but it's shallow area. So it's kind of unique. Right. So kind of, there. kind of perfect for them too, really just from, from what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, it's like a little oasis honestly. Mm -hmm. And then, and yeah. I'll talk about the deep water edge that they use to, for foraging stuff, but it's just this great, perfect area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So here in the U.S., we do have two different stocks of Atlantic spotted dolphins. We have the northern Gulf of Mexico stock and the western North Atlantic stock as designated by NOAA. So this is, again, these stocks are used to basically delineate different populations of animals for management purposes, for potentially conservation purposes. Um, and you know, a lot of times they are very helpful, but you do have to bear in mind that these are kind of arbitrary <laughs> to right. some degree. I mean, a lot of times they are based on like groupings of animals, but equally, you know, they're not going to pay attention to borders or right. state you lines or anything boxes. like that. They don't care about the boxes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that is just important to bear in mind. Well, and that's a good thing to talk about too, is that taxonomy wise, the, the taxonomy here is a little bit fuzzy. Um, because with genetics and stuff, we've, we've, you know, learned a lot more about where the animals should fit together and group together. Um, and actually what's interesting is that the Atlantic spotted dolphin, which morphologically, what they look like is kind of in between a pantropical and a bottomnose dolphin, interestingly. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're actually genetically more closely related to 
bottlenose dolphins than they are to other spotted dolphins. Interesting. At least is that point. just because of proximity? Of uh, just, uh, do you mean of the genetics or the geography? Both. <laughs> I know, I don't, I don't know. Um, huh. And that was a, a few years ago now, well, probably more than a decade now when that, that one came out. Um, so I'm not sure if it's, I mean, they do live sympatrically. They live with bottlenose dolphins in the Bahamas right. study area. I don't know about other areas. Um, so they are close geographically there as well. So it could be somewhat of that. Um, but hmm. I, I don't know why, why these very spotted animals <laughs> are more closely related to bottlenose dolphins than they are to other spotted dolphins. But that goes to show you the, you know, we can use morphology for, uh, for, you know, usually it matches up really well, but just because an animal has spots doesn't necessarily mean it's more, more closely related to another animal that has spots versus a, a different animal. So, right. Yeah. Which um, again, it's still, important to bear in mind. Yeah. They're still working all of that out as we find out more genetically and it'll probably get more complicated before it gets cleared up. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we always yep. used to joke though, because there was a, a kind of a fight between the bottlenose and the spotted dolphins you know, who, who liked that, that species better. And so bottlenose are Tercyops truncatus, and this is Stenella frontalis. And so it's always like, oh, but what if it becomes uh, Tercyops frontalis? <laughs> they put them in the <laughs> genus. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, and actually, I'll get into that in the fun fact section. But um, the Latin was actually really interesting for this one when I looked it oh, up, of the name. It's very cool. And you know what? I don't think I've ever known. I've studied them for over 10, you know, 20 years yeah, now, I actually. Have a fun and fact. I never even thought about it. Cool. I have a fun fact for Cindy, too. Awesome. Yay. That's so exciting. Okay, well, I think we'll get into the um, uh, diet and behavior, but let's take a quick break first. All right, and we're back. I'm going to dive right in. Haha, fun intended. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, uh, to the diet and behavior. And so this is one where I will have to rein myself in because I could tell you stories for days about <laughs> my 10 years of hanging out with them. And, and we got to snorkel, we have a per, you know, permit to be out there and we got to snorkel with these groups and just watch them, watch their behavior. They were used to watching them, but I'm sure they're like, okay, whatever guys. <laughs> oh, they're back. <laughs> yeah, they're back. I guess they're just gonna watch us do whatever. Okay, fine. Um, but anyway, so I will, I'll try to, to do some highlights, um, but not talk the entire day. Uh, so the, the uh, foraging, um, what's interesting is that, I, I mean, I didn't look up a lot of um, scientific papers, but there, um, in most other stuff that I looked up with other species, they give you a, a fair list of, you know, the different things that they eat, but mm -hmm. almost all of them were just like, they eat fish and squid. That's really? Cool. Yeah. Like there oh, was interesting. Like the, the ones that I have, the, the species that I have were from my work from, you know, when I gave presentations for the wild dolphin project. So huh. I thought that was interesting. Uh, and I'm sure there, I'm sure there are more diet studies. Although I think one of our, our um, graduate students was doing one of those two um, years ago, I think. And like, actually there wasn't that many. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's not that much <laughs> out there. But um, they basically just, it's fish and squid, which is true. They, um, they do love squid. We, we see them eat that a lot. Um, but the, they will eat um, bottom fish. So sometimes they'll school them. They'll, you know, do like the um, cooperative feeding where they'll get together and, you know, create this little, you know, like a, a bait ball um, 
and then you know form that ball of fish and then dart through it as they go to grab uh, individual fish. So they do that, although I've only seen that like once or twice in Interesting. For our study animals. Yeah. Right. And so that might be something that they use maybe more in other spots. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably for the deeper animals because it's mm. you're more you, in the Bahamas really, I mean, you got 10 or 30 feet of water for in on most of that bank. Um, right. Yeah. It's limited. We just don't, they don't have just big schools of fish swimming around there. Yeah. Um, but what they do have a lot of is bottom fish that hide in the sand. And so what's really fun to watch is these guys will go down and find flounder, um, razor fish, um, and things like that, that are hidden just underneath the layer of sand. Um, and then you'll see them and they'll buzz down and then you'll see the flounder go, whoa, <laughs> and start to swim away. But then sometimes you'll see the dolphin lose, lose it. And you're just like, it's, it's right over there. Just like quick pointing <laughs> to it. Like it's right there. <laughs> and they usually eventually find it because they're very good at what they do. Um, but they eat a lot of those, those bottom fish, um, and, um, just do that kind of, uh, they don't dig really deep in the sand, contrary to the bottomnose dolphins in that area that do some other feeding that we'll talk about some other time. Um, but they just kind of grab those and that seems to be, uh, for the most part, what they like to eat, at least in the Bahamas. Um, but what's really cool, and I'll mention back to the deep water edge we were talking about, is the sand bank is again, very shallow, but then it drops steeply. Um, up to over a thousand feet of water um, in just a very, a very short thing. So it's a really steep cliff right at the end. And you can see the line if you're doing like a drone work or, or you uh, mm. have a picture from above, you can see it's like shallow, pretty water, darker deep water. <laughs> uh, and what's cool is that they will feed in the deep water edge at night. So we would follow them or we would go out into the deep water edge. We'd put our lights out to bring the uh, phytoplankton and zooplankton up and the squid and flying fish like to come up to that. And then um, the dolphins come up to feed on the squid and the flying fish. Mm. So, so they so they utilize that that over a thousand foot of water at night, which seems dangerous, but they do. Mm -hmm. uh, and they grab squid and flying fish, um, and it's really fun to watch. Uh, I one time had a had a squid hide in. I was in the water. We were watching them, and the squid came in front of me. <laughs> It was like, they can't see me. They can't yeah. see me here. And the dolphins are buzzing. Like I, she it's there and it, she's in the way. I can't, I can't get it. And the squid's like, ha -ha. but then he got scared and he inked. Uh -oh. and, in, and in my head, I just went, you guys made me ink. <laughs> Finding Nemo. Anyone seen Finding Nemo? <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. Um, but anyway, so they're, it's really fun to watch them and the flying fish are cool because they will fly out of the water and sometimes they will fly onto the boat and smack themselves into the, and on the boat and kind of pass out, <laughs> fly back into the water. But interesting, if, if it hits the boat and it goes back in the water, the dolphins won't go after it. Interesting. So I wonder if they assume that it's dead. I guess. Yeah. And they're like, I mean, they can, that. yeah. Oh, it's touched humans. Ew. Exactly. Ew. <laughs> it touched something. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, and then what's cool with the squid is that they will actually, they can't digest the squid beaks and the, and the pens from the inside of the, the squid. And so they'll actually regurgitate it. So it's not throwing up because they can't throw up, but they regurgitate it. Um, and so they just go, uh, 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 and then comes out. And then we would collect the squid beaks and you can actually, I think by the lower jaw, you can identify the species. Hmm. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, so it's kind of like what they'll do for, um, they'll do that in seal scat as well, but obviously they have to wait for it to pass all the way through. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. A little yeah, bit more of a, of a fun process there, but. <laughs> I mean, we collected fecal samples too, just not for squid bees. 
Yeah. No, that's very interesting though. Yeah. And so um, because they're mostly in shallow water, their dives are usually 30 feet, two to six minutes again, um, but they have been recorded at diving up to 200 feet and holding their breath for up to 10 minutes. So gotcha. Okay. And that would probably be for those deeper, deeper water animals. Mm -hmm. um, so that's basically their foraging, um, their food. Um, in grouping, grouping wise, and this is where I could go on a tangent because my, my whole master's and, and PhD was on the social structure of these dolphins <laughs> and some of their behavior. So, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it concise. Um, they usually are in groups of like five to 15 individuals, but they can be in groups of up to 200. Um, but for our study animals, there's only about a hundred anyway. So when the, everybody was there, it would be maybe 60 or 70 that we would see together. Um, but most of the time, smaller groups. Um, and they have a social structure very similar to people where you're living in groups that constantly change throughout the day, right? You're with your family, you go to work, you go to, you know, go out to dinner with friends or whatever. But within those relationships, you have these strong, very, very strong bonds. So um, males have alliances with other males that are basically best friends for their entire life. Uh, or mm -hmm. unless they get really mad at each other sometimes, but <laughs> generally friends for life. Um, and sometimes they can team up together. So they'll have two alliances that come together to either fight off another alliance or a bottlenose dolphin or a shark or something like that. And these alliances basically are like, you know, if you've ever been to go, um, um, going to try to find a date, you need a wingman. <laughs> what these are for. Help, it helps you get your mojo on to, to make those ladies uh, make you think that you're, you're the one to be, to get to. Super popular. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they'll, they have the, those alliances. The, the female relationships center more around babies, which is not surprising, um, and their reproductive status. So if you are pregnant, you're going to have certain needs. If you have a calf, you're going to have different needs. And if you are neither of those, you're going to have completely different needs. <laughs> similar to people right people who have kids generally are not hanging out with with people that are single or don't mm -hmm. have kids because you just don't have the same things going on in your life at that time mm -hmm. so um so and we've seen that like uh, they'll be um two young females that have a strong relationship one of them gets pregnant the other one doesn't and then they they kind of split off for a little while and, and maybe they'll come back if they both have calves at the same time because it it takes it takes a village to raise uh, babies and that's true for dolphins as well um, and then mothers and calves have the strongest bond because they are uh, obviously because you got to keep the baby alive and they will nurse for two to three years, usually uh, up to four or five. Um, and those first two to three years, especially the kid, the, ba the babies are always with the mothers. Um, and that's after about a year of 11 to 12 months of, of pregnancy. Um, and this is the time that they learn all the rules that there are to the society. So what, what can you do? What can't you do? What should you do? What shouldn't you do? <laughs> There's a lot. There's the, they have a complex society. Um, and so just like people, right? You can't just have a baby and then be like, all right, you know how to do things, go ahead. You, you're, we're teaching them what is allowed in society and, and how to interact with others and other people and, and other dolphins in this case. Um, but one side note, there was a one mother and calf that were together still and the, I think Tyler ended up being like eight and she was still she, she the mother hadn't had a new calf and the um the daughter was of age that she could have a calf and she still didn't we we're like wow 
I'm not, what's going on guys? Interesting. <laughs> and, then, and then she finally did, the, 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 the daughter finally did have a calf and then the mother had a calf too. So this is a weird, weird one where the mothers and the daughters can have calves at the same time. So the aunt is the same age as the niece, for example. Mm-hmm. Which is, wow. is kind of funny, I think. <laughs> But mothers can have, you know, calves continually um, and they start when they're about uh, modeled. So about eight to uh, nine to 10 years of age is when they start having babies. Gotcha. So, um, and then I'll just talk a little bit about how they learn to um, uh, learn all those rules. So play is a really big thing, especially in social animals. And so um, they learn a lot of it through that. So they'll use fish for target practice. So there's big horse-eyed jacks that are around that they're not gonna eat, but you can see them like buzzing and chasing after them and kind of um, open mouth and grabbing at them. Um, I'm sure the dolphins are having a great time. I'm sure the horse-eyed jacks are not having a great time. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, at least they're not getting eaten. So I guess there's that. Um, True. So yeah, so they they hone their foraging skills there. They play a game called, uh, at least we call it. I don't know what they call it. Um, seaweed tag or keep away. So they'll put it on their flukes or their pectoral fins or their flukes or whatever, and and just um, uh, they'll drop it, and then another one will pick it up, and then they'll, they'll drop it, and another one will pick it up, and they just kind of play play games with the uh, stuff that's around. Um, they'll play fight, and lots of times that is under the watchful eye of. A, an adult, a modeled or refused individual or more than one. Um, so basically kind of teaching them, this is how you would do these aggressive postures um, if you were to do it for real. So learning how to, how to do that. Um, and, um, and so some of those uh, aggressive behaviors are things like open mouth, you know, very similar to like chimpanzees and stuff. You know, you bury your teeth or a dog, you know, bury your teeth. You're like, I'm upset. Um, and they do this like S posture where they kind of just arch and kind of do this kind of slight S thing. And it also means that they're upset. Um, and they'll blow bubbles sometimes um, called a Taurus, which also in indicates aggression or upsetness usually. Um, so they have all these different signals, both vocalization wise, they will, they vocalize, but also these uh, visual signals that they use to communicate with one another. And so you have to learn all of that as well as a young uh, spotted dolphin. Mm -hmm. um, at the surface, they're really acrobatic. They love to breach. Um, they are flashy. They love bow riding. They will come to a boat, like not just like, oh, they're right by it. So let me just hop a ride. They'll be like, oh, look, there's a boat like half a mile away. <laughs> Let's go catch a ride. Whee! And they'll go. So they'll bow ride and they'll wake ride and they'll and oftentimes jump in the air. And um, so they are uh, kind of a fun one to watch just at the surface because of that. Um, and I think that's. Uh, my overview of behavior. But what I found was interesting is a lot of the stuff I looked at didn't have any information on this, on their social structure, on they said, oh, we don't really know too much about them, hmm. um, which I thought was interesting because at least in the right. Bahamas, we know quite a bit. Um, Denise Herzing has been using, been there for over 30 years every single summer. Um, Cause that's the, I time. wonder if that's, I wonder if that's something to do with the fact that like, that's one, you know, obviously that's a lot of information that you think could be to at least to some degree generalized across the population. But mm -hmm. I wonder if, because they're found in so many other areas, if it's like, oh, we don't really know much in other places. 
I think to some degree, because there, there, I mean, there are other places and there are a few other people that um, we've heard over the years that are kind of working on, on, uh, on those populations, but not to this degree. And so I, I, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess they just generalize it. Um, but they even had some references to some of the, the papers that came from, um, from our group out there, uh, but they didn't have anything on the social structure stuff that I had mm. done. Um, they had one from a, uh, a previous uh, or a graduate student was there at the same time. Um, so they had some, but not, not all. So I wasn't, I'm not, not sure when they updated things or, um, right. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. Cause I was like, we know a lot more than what you would think by just by reading a lot of the, um, uh, even things on Noah and a couple of the other places that I looked. So, hmm. so see, this is why y'all listen to this podcast because you I, get a secret, in super secret insight into Atlantic spotted dolphins. Look, yes, that you and cannot it, find. That's right. You're going to go read scientific papers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, yeah. So, and uh, if you're interested in, especially the behavior and vocalizations and things like that, definitely check out the Wild Dolphin Project um, mm -hmm. because they have so many papers and so much interesting stuff and videos and all sorts of wonderful resources to learn about these amazing animals so yeah that's my behavior what do you got cool Karen? all right well let's get into the status section which is going to be extremely brief um so we don't know as, you know well for you know what's funny so okay so the current population throughout the entire range so we're talking like all the atlantic spotted dolphins in the world we don't know yeah. but um, for the specific stocks, again, this is the one benefit of having these specific management stocks mm -hmm. um, that NOAA puts into these groups. So for the um, northern Gulf of Mexico, again, it, the range given was 25 to 31,000 animals, which mm -hmm. is a big difference in yeah. numbers. And for the Western North Atlantic, again, it was around 36 to 51,000 animals. So yeah, it's, that's... It's, it's, it, I mean, it's, again, I don't know when they were last updated, um, right. but equally that seems like a very broad range for any population estimate. That's like a difference of, for the Western North Atlantic. I mean, that's, that's like a huge 25, difference. 25,000. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Right. Um, so kind of interesting. Um, it, it would be kind of intriguing to do a little bit more digging on that and see like maybe why mm -hmm. those were so broad. Um, well, again, I think it goes back to what you said before that we just like, it's, it's this weird dichotomy where to me, we know so much about spotted dolphins because I know, you know, we know so much about this pop, that one population, but mm -hmm. they're, they're not a, a species that is studied as much as, as others. They're just not, but they are, they are overt. And I think that's the thing mm -hmm. that I always come back to. I mean, again, we study harbor porpoises, which are extremely tricky to <laughs> find and or see. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I'm biased, but to me, I'm like, and again, a lot of these are done using aerial surveys, but mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I would have thought hiding. that it would be right. I mean, I granted if you're in the deeper waters, it might, you know, if they dive down, yeah. you can't see them, but I don't know. I just thought that was quite a broad range, um, which was not what I was expecting. I think I was anticipating a little bit more specific, um, numbers there. So yeah. kind of interesting. So was I. <laughs> Cause I'm yeah. like, we know, we know so much about these guys. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. And for, in terms of protection level, um, they are protected by the Marine Mammal Protection Act throughout their range and uh, by the CITES Appendix 2, which is pretty standard for most marine mammals. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of threats, what do they need to be protected against? Um, one of the major ones, as we keep coming back to with so many of these marine mammals, is entanglement. Mm -hmm. um, 
so they are particularly susceptible to uh, gill nets and purseins. Um, so basically anything that is scooping and, and kind of then closing the net on the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, you find this with a lot of cetaceans and pinnipeds, but especially cetaceans who are going in and feeding on those fish that the commercial fishermen are fishing. It's a lot of saying fish in one sentence. Fishing, fishing, um, fish, fishing, fishing. <laughs> and, you know, they, they basically get caught in the net. Um, right. So that is the, you know, the definition of bycatch is you're not intending to catch those animals, but they right. sort of got caught in your gear anyway. Um, and obviously these interactions can be anything from they managed to get away to the animal can be injured or even killed by this entanglement. A lot of times mm-hmm. they end up getting caught in the nets and drowning. Um, so it's a pretty horrendous way to go. And unfortunately, a lot of these are not reported and or are not monitored because obviously the fishermen were not trying to catch a dolphin. Right. And they don't um, want to say, hey, I caught some dolphins. Most of them don't. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's a big one for these guys. And I actually didn't realize that that was quite so big of a problem. It makes total sense given what their range is. Yeah. Um, but that was that was interesting to me as well. well and I think that's one thing too that, that our, like our the, our study animals there in the Bahamas, uh, they, they that's not as big of an issue for them because mm-hmm. the, there's you know there's not fishermen out there on that shallow bank. But like we find gear all the time, and we found a ball of fishing line and net and stuff that was the size. Uh, I can't even think about the size of it. I mean, it was like. Uh, like if you made a really big snowman like the base of a snow snowman that was mm. like you know three or four it was probably about three or four feet wide wow it just it's, we almost couldn't get it up onto the boat um, and see that's the other thing too is entanglement does not necessarily have to mean just being entangled when the fishing is underway right. this could also be just like you said in debris and pieces of gear that get left that get cut mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's very detrimental yeah um, another big one is ocean noise. Um, so again, this is something we come back to with most marine mammals, but for these guys, particularly, um, especially because, and I would imagine in, in your study site in the Bahamas, because a lot of what they're being influenced by is to some degree recreational vessels, but mostly it's mm-hmm. the industrial and or military activities. And I know they do a lot of military sonar testing out in the Bahamas. Yeah, um, ours is it's it's where they do that is in the the usually more the canyons that are uh, away from our study area. Thank goodness. Okay, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. interesting because that's a big one. So I mean, this sonar. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you ever heard it. My master's project was actually listening to recordings of false killer whales from D tags, which is mm-hmm. the tags that are stuck on the animal's back, and they were being recorded during some of these playback studies where they're playing sonar to determine what effect it has on the animal. Mm. Obviously with a permit and very safely, this is all done for research purposes, but they were doing it in an area where there's no military testing happening. And so they were trying to determine what the impact was on these animals. It's really loud. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever heard it, but it's extremely Mm -hmm. loud when they ramp it up. Um, so obviously this is going to impact their communication, potentially their ability to echolocate and find food. Um, if it gets loud enough, if the animal is close enough to the sound source, it can actually cause temporary or permanent hearing loss too. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is a big problem, especially if they are in these areas that are perhaps a little bit further offshore, but that could make it more conducive to doing some of that testing because there's less things to harm out there and you're not going to impact humans typically. Um, so kind of an interesting one. And then like illegal the, the, feeding and the, harassment. The analogy, too. the analogy for that, I just keep the thought of is like going to a rock concert. 
because oh, you can yes. get that mm -hmm. temporary hearing loss during like right after the concert. And then if you go to enough of those, you will have permanent hearing loss from it. Mm -hmm. So for those um, acoustic geeks out there, it's called mm -hmm. a temporary threshold shift. There you go. <laughs> so basically you're hearing what you can hear decreases yes. temporarily. Um, and hopefully it doesn't last for too long. Right. Um, or you go to a rock concert and you have like consistent ringing in your ears for years afterwards, which there does sometimes go. happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last major threat that I was going to just talk about is illegal feeding and harassment. Um, mm. So again, because these guys are very curious about boats, though a lot of times they're going actively going up to boats, they're interacting with vessels. Um, they will interact with fishing vessels as well. Um, a lot of times mm -hmm. they will follow them, try to grab some of the discarded fish that's coming off that boat. Um, a little bit more opportunistic there, but you know, either in, so people can sometimes get a little bit excited that there are dolphins right there and they want to feed them. Yeah. Um, cause the dolphins coming right up to your boat. It's like, Oh, here, let me just get a piece of fish and feed the mm -hmm. dolphin. And Oh my gosh, this is incredible. Um, please don't ever do that. If you're listening to this, please don't do that. It's it it causes major it causes behavioral changes in the animal, which they then teach to their calves. Mm -hmm. And basically, what you're teaching them to first of all become dependent on people for food, which is never a good thing because they kind of then don't spend as much time, like you said, learning all of those ways to catch food in their own environment. Mm -hmm. And you also end up with them following these boats, um, and they're at a much higher risk of boat collision or getting into propeller issues. Um, and, or potentially even approaching a hostile boat, which I will get into in a minute. Um, said, not, all, not all people are nice. Yeah. And so it's, it really, it, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's really detrimental to the animals. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know when I worked in Australia, this was a big problem too, because the dolphins there are, it's bottlenose dolphins, but it's, they are, again, they're very curious and they come up to the boats and we did, we had a mother calf pair who were notorious for, yeah. they would just follow, they would just follow boats. They would just stay, stay in the inner Harbor the whole time and just follow boats. Yeah. There's um, one in Sarasota and his name is beggar mm -hmm. because he begs. Mm -hmm. So I know it's cute and I know it's tempting, but please, please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not helpful to the animals. Do not feed any wild animal. No, it's just, and again, I understand the temptation and it's so yeah. exciting to have that very close experience with the animal, but just appreciate the fact that they're coming up to your boat. Don't try to get them food. Out. especially please also don't try to give them people food. The yeah. number of times you see people trying to feed dolphins like French fries. It's like, what are you doing? They don't like Cheetos. It's not good for them. No, no. Funnily enough. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like we said, the other problem is that not all boats are friendly. So if they're just approaching, if they, if they're trained now to approach all boats, some of these boats are really concerned that these dolphins are going to eat all their fish and they mm. might be quite happy to just knock that dolphin on the head or shoot it. And that does happen. Yeah. Um, and some Atlantic spotted dolphins have also been intentionally hunted and killed in the Caribbean, South America and West really? Africa, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I so they'll, that, they'll, yeah. they'll be hunted for food and for bait mm. um, in some of those other islands, island areas. So I think um, South America was one where apparently that that has been quite common in the past. I don't think it's as frequent now, but um, apparently that is a problem. So interesting. again, just one more way where if you are, if, if these are other things that are going on and these dolphins are now trained to come up to boats to maybe get something out of it, that's just putting them at a much higher risk of, of death, basically. Right. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. So on that fun note, <laughs> let's move to some exciting facts and, and Yay! get off the, the morbid death topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since I teased you with this earlier, all right, so their Latin name, mm -hmm. 
is Stenella frontalis. Mm -hmm. So Stenella, first of all, is a diminutive of the Greek steno or steno. I'm not sure how you would say that. S-T-E-N-O, which steno. means narrow. I think steno oh, too. See, so that, means, that means narrow, slender. right? Got it. And frontalis is actually, actually means forehead. And it's thought that that refers to their, their bulbous melon, which is the, the, fore, yeah. basically the forehead part of the dolphin. Well, and they are, like I said, they are more slender. They don't have, they're, they're not as chunky and big foreheady Defined. as bottomless yep. dolphins. Well, they also have a very slender beak too, from what mm -hmm. I remember. It um, is, yeah, no, and that's one thing you, way you can tell the difference between a two-tone a two spotted dolphin calf and a bottomnose is it's, it's much more elongated and thin. See, there you go. Knowing the Latin does help you. See, look at that. Um, so cute. Another thing, which again, we were just, we were talking before we started recording here. So when I was looking this up, the lifespan provided in most of the sources that I looked at was 22 to 25 years in the wild. That was kind of the standard-ish timeframe. But I know we were talking and you were saying that they live a lot longer than that. Yeah. So, and what's interesting is Noah says they don't know. On their See, thing, and this is a thing, yeah. So like, interesting. Get it. So when I would give presentations about it, it was basically the same as bottlenose dolphins. It's about 40 plus years. And so one of the things that we know, at least some of them live that long, longer than 25 years, is that there are individuals that are still alive in the population that is being studied for the last 33 or something years now. I'm not sure which 30 year <laughs> they are on at the Wild Dolphin Project now, but um, over 30 years. Um, and they were not a calf when they were, when, when they started. So they were at least mm -hmm. say eight, 10 years old, maybe even 15 years old. I think there's some that we have only known as fused individuals. So they were at least 15 when they started tracking them and they were there for at least another 25, 30 years. Right. So they're, and, and that wasn't like an uncommon thing. So right. I would hazard that their average, that their, their lifespan is 40 plus years. Um, so, and that's interesting where, again, because I guess if you think about, right. And that's what I was going to say, like, it is tricky trying to give a population estimate when you're talking about so many different Very like well. locations of where the mm -hmm. animal could live. Um, so maybe that's the average, I would presume, it, you know, perhaps that's the average of taking some of those animals that do live past 40 mm -hmm. and maybe some and else, you know, other, other locations only live to like 15 or 18 because of various other factors. Right. True. But just, just kind of interesting. And again, like this is where it's great to know some of the, this information in a very general sense, but this is where it's so important to study different populations and have yeah. that fine scale data because it's not always the same. Just because it's the same species doesn't mean they act the same way in all locations. Yeah. And there's um, the, those external environmental anthropogenic variables that will affect mm -hmm. that behavior and their longevity. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the other really cool things is obviously, like Cindy said, their social hierarchy is pretty complex. And I thought it was really neat too. And I know we've talked about this just in the office before, but um, individuals are ranked according to their gender, age, size, and other factors. See, so I read that and I was like, I don't, I don't know what they mean by that. Oh. Because I, I would not, I see personally, I would not use the word rank. Okay. Because that seems like, like there was a hierarchy and their relationships are, are it, I think that's, it's a too simple of a, of a structure, at least in my, in my mm. opinion that like, oh, they're, this guy's the top guy. And then this one, this one, and that one, that one. 
And while we do, at least in the, in the Bahamas, you know, and again, all my references for that population. So this may not be applicable to everywhere, <laughs> but that they, there are certain ones like uh, during a certain summer, like, oh, well, that's the hot female, like little gash was that one year. Um, or this, this is the up and coming male. So he's looking like he's, you know, kind of up there, but I don't know if they're ranked. I, d- I don't like the term rank. I mean, maybe, well, and maybe I'm thinking of it in the same way that the, they are, but I just don't like the word. Well, I was going to say, and it's interesting because I guess when you say that you assume that it's static where it doesn't have to be, right. you know, this could be year to year. There are differences in like, you know, like you said, this is the, the big, this is the big, you know, beefy male who's going to be. Right on the scene this year um so i guess that's the thing like that isn't necessarily incorrect but it's more fluid than perhaps that term kind of seems like it should be yeah i would agree with that because it definitely is very complex like i said i mean my whole work was on their social structure and Mm -hmm. it's you know they have alliances and those sometimes change but sometimes don't and then you know they went through hurricanes and lost individuals and then that changed everything and so and, and then, and I guess I think it was too general too, because it's like, well, the males and the females have very different relationships. Mm-hmm. And I would say that maybe the, you know, the alliances you could see would be ranked a bit more, but I don't know about the females yeah. because they're fluctuating with reproductive status. So um, it's just an interesting, it's interesting way to phrase it. And I'm not sure if it mm-hmm. really works or if it's just our animals that are different than the rest of them, you know, I don't know. But then but then they say they don't know much about the rest of the population. So then how can they say that they, that they do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, I think, I think probably it is a slight simplification of mm-hmm. what you're talking about, because especially when you're just trying to give a brief synopsis, you're, you're not right. going to be able to go into that much detail. So and I'm like, just go into the detail. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's more nuanced than that suggests, but I feel mm-hmm. like it's still, it's still, that's I can still go with that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, and this is what, um, where I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have a bit more of like nitpick. <laughs> well, I yeah, know, of course. I know just, too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then the other cool thing too, just, just the last thing that I was going to bring up is just as we, as we kind of alluded to earlier, um, these guys do regularly get attacked by sharks mm-hmm. um, and they will protect each other against shark attack, which is one of the cool things that a lot of people kind of think about or have heard about different dolphin species. Um, but I just think that's really cool just to kind of, it really just highlights the strength of those social bonds, you know, that they will actually protect one another against um, a predator that's coming directly at them. Um, a lot of times very successfully actually as well. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we've, I have a, if, if, you, if you, I have a couple stories. Well, actually, so that's what I was going to say, because again, we don't know a lot about the other populations. So there wasn't a whole a whole lot more of my fun facts to go. So I was just going to say like, hey, if you have any fun stories, let's just share oh, that close. Look at that. Perfect. Perfect so segue. With the, with the sharks. So we have seen that like alliances, sometimes they'll, you know, be fighting amongst themselves and then say, you know, a shark may go by or whatever. And they go, oh, let's put our differences down. <laughs> Fight mm-hmm. that guy off. And then we can go back to fighting with each other. Um, mm-hmm. So we, and we have seen things like that. Uh, my two favorite stories about sharks is that we were we were getting ready to to get into the water, and again we have um, permits to do this uh, to get in the water with them in the Bahamas, um, so you can't do that on your own. <laughs> um, but we were getting ready, and um, the boat captain saw something and was like, uh, "Let me go check that out." Meanwhile, we have it's two pregnant females that were on the bow bow riding, so they were having a great time. Um, so he feels over because he wants to go check out this thing that he saw, um, thinking that it might have been a shark. 
Well, all of a sudden the females peer, peel off the bow. They go straight over to where that dark thing was. And so, and we're down below. Uh, and then the, the shark apparently, we missed it because Denise and I were getting ready on, on the back, came up and opened its mouth like jaws at the surface and like thrashed back and forth. What? Wow. What kind and, of shark was it? Uh, I probably a tiger shark. We have tigers and okay. lemons and a bunch of other ones, but those are the kind of the, um, and there's bull sharks there too, but I would, I'm not sure, but I think it was probably a tiger. Um, gotcha. but came, I apparently like just pissed off basically. Wow. <laughs> and then it went off and then the, the females came back to the bow and we had a little bow ride and then the shark went off. So then we got in the water with them and it was just like, this just goes to show, do not mess with a pregnant female. <laughs> nice yeah right um and we've seen i've also seen um them go down um there was a hammerhead sharks that came in and they're super cool to see um but they came down and they were just they were just minding their own business but we saw we've seen the spot the dolphins go down and buzz them with their echolocation and you can see the sharks mm. physically react to it and then they would swim off Mm -hmm. So they can, you know, and, uh, but then other times we've been in the water and then all of a sudden all the dolphins disappear and you start looking around going like, oh, why did they just leave? <laughs> right. Because well, they will the also, thing, like they, they risk assessment themselves too, you know? Right. They will choose to just run. They're mm -hmm. not going to generally choose to fight first if they don't have to. Yeah. Um, and then probably uh, the last one that I'll, I'll talk about is this uh, little, little dolphin, uh, baby dolphin that she showed up um, as a young calf and she had a shark bite. Um, and you could, she would squeak. You would, you would hear her before you would see her in the water. Mm. And she's like, squeak, 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 squeak. I'm like, well, that's very cute, but you're announcing where you are mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's your young. <laughs> um, and so she came up with a shark bite and we're like, oh, okay. well, she survived. And they have really good healing capabilities as long as it's mm -hmm. not like through giant artery. Um, and so we're like, well, maybe she'll learn her lesson. In the next year, squeak, 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 squeak. <laughs> and she showed up with a second shark bite. Oh wow! And we're just like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta shut, shut your mouth. <laughs> um, and I think it, I, I think it might, I think it might have been that, or that she might have had one more turn where she, she had at least two shark bite or wounds on her, um, until she finally started quieting down, and we didn't hear her before we saw her in the water. Wow! So some, some calves takes a little bit longer to figure out. Well, and again, because they're all individuals, right? right. I mean, that's the exactly. thing. It's like, you know, we're talking about a lot of these just in broad over over terms, but like, yeah, that's the thing. You are you do have to remember each of these animals are individuals and some of them they're they're they maybe they're a little more chatty and they're gonna be more mm -hmm. stubborn about listening to other animals that are instructing them to shut up. Right. <laughs> and they're gonna have to learn the hard way. Right. You know, like uh, come on. <laughs> There's a reason why we tell you this. And that goes when I'm a, as a parent, you know, my son, son will, I'll tell him something like, don't do that. And then he'll do it anyway. And then it gets hurt. And I'm like, that's why I told you not to do it. <laughs> like, yep. And I think that's, that's a big part of the learning process too, yeah. is to understand, you know, what the reason is for some of those boundaries. And again, especially in a social structure that is very complex and has a lot of layers to it, you know part of that is going to be kind of pushing some of those boundaries sometimes and figuring out what happens and then realizing like, okay, I don't want to push that one. <laughs> that yeah. was a little too far. Well, and we'll see the, the, they'll get disciplined. So lots of mm -hmm. times the, the babies will want to like come and hang out, you know, by the people like, look at these weird things in the water. And the moms are like, no, we are going, let's go now. Or the babysitters because the younger females will babysit the, the calves. 
And if they don't listen, you'll all of a sudden see that the, like a toddler running away, the calf swims around and the, either the babysitter or the mom is zipping around after them, buzzing at them. And then we'll actually take them down to this, to the sea floor, which is not that deep since it's shallow. Um, and we'll kind of pin them to the floor, just as if you're like, you're in a timeout right now. Wow. And like buzz at them and say like, I was unhappy about this situation and you need to stop. <laughs> like, oh, he got in trouble. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But it's what's so interesting to me is getting be, being able to have seen that for 10 years and gotten to experience that is how similar they are to human society and how complex it is, and that they are all individuals. And you know, mothers will parent differently than others. And mm-hmm. you you see those differences when you're sitting there watching them for you know, summers on end. And like for the yeah. last 30 years, like we know all those individuals and their kind of, you know, pers- personalities and, and see those differences and the complexity that there's, that is there. And it's just really, really cool to get to experience. Yeah. And I think especially for, which, like I said, I really had no idea, but especially for a species that apparently is, is otherwise fairly unknown. Like we apparently don't know a lot. The fact that you guys have so much knowledge about you know, granted this population of animals, but like, right. that's huge. Yeah. Um, so just the, the, the amount of information that you can actually glean about these animals. And like I said, like a lot of the things that we went through, I was actually very surprised at how little information there was um, in broad terms. Again, like you said, I'm sure if we started researching different papers from all these different areas, we'd find more right. stuff, but it was pretty but Yeah, I was surprised too. I really, I did not think that there was just that, that much of a blanket of like, we don't know a lot about this species because that yeah. are little pocket in the world we know so much about them (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's really interesting Mm -hmm. yeah it was very very it was it's a it's a weird dichotomy in my brain it's really hard for me to to reconcile it I'm like Mm -hmm. wait a minute but but we do but okay but not for every all the spotted dolphins right okay and I think some of that too is you know like there are Atlantic spotted dolphins along the east coast like we said but for the most part, bottlenose dolphins are the ones that are studied because they're ju- they're just mm-hmm. they're around more or they're more accessible, more easier. They're easier to study. So, kind of similar to what's happened to the harbor porpoises, where you know other things are easier to study. So those that's what gets studied. So I mm-hmm. think there's some degree of that where there's other animals that are are either easier or more important, quote unquote, to study because they're endangered or whatever. Um, and so these guys just just kind of gotten left on the space side, passed over. Yeah. yeah but not in the Bahamas. Yeah. So check out the Wild Dolphin Project for all the cool stuff they have. And uh, 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 Dr. Denise Herzing did a TED talk uh, on the two-way communication system that she's uh, working on, trying to be able to communicate on in their language with them. Because um, one thing I love about their motto is that their motto is in their world on their terms. So this is why everything we did was non-invasive. To get a genetic material, we collected their poop we actually swam mm-hmm. behind dolphins and collected poop in a urine jar. <laughs> so the classy life of a researcher. It is, it is. Um, but you get so excited when you feel like your first poop sample. It's very, it's very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone after that actually too. But, um, but everything is non-invasive and it's just about being there and observing them and learning as much as we can uh, without impacting them uh, as much as possible. So mm-hmm. it's a great program. So check them out and I'll have a link uh, in the program notes too, to their website. So you guys can learn more because it's uh, that is just super interesting. And I'm, yeah. I'm lucky to still get to work with them and I'm actually working on a paper with them right now on some new stuff. So they're doing yeah. great work. So very cool. 
yeah so all right um, that's the atlantic spotted dolphin i uh, hope you enjoyed it uh if you guys want to have any more stories just let me know <laughs> more. hit us up on social media and Cindy right. will regale you with all kinds of fun stories um so you can find us actually on social media we are at pacific mammal research all one word on instagram and facebook and be sure to go check out our website we have a gift shop on there where you can buy pac-man merch you can buy cute little stuffies um, and we're gonna have a we're, we're gonna have a very unique big surprise soon. so big surprise mm -hmm. yeah we'll do, we'll we'll do a big we'll yeah, do a reveal. release but yeah um oh, but, yeah, but i, I will i will just put it on just for people who have to be able to see who haven't seen my website i got a crocheted harbor porpoise custom so cute and he's super cute i just had he's just so cute even though this is the atlantic spotted dolphin episode <laughs> <laughs> you know we gotta throw some carpet porpoise in there sometimes i do he's just so cute and you needed to see him so there you go that was your cutest <laughs> level for the day <laughs> perfect and we will be back next time probably with a journal review again um i think and then i think after that i think september is when we're, we're hopefully going to have some interviews um yeah um in the fall here so yeah so stay tuned that. yes yeah all right well we'll see you then next time bye bye This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about the species we discuss, check out our blog. Head to our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M.org, to check it out. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.